Andrea Warnick is uh, about to join us on the show. She's a psychotherapist. This would come in handy for Tim. Yes. And a children's grief specialist. Andrea Warnick's passion lies in helping families and communities support people of all ages who are grieving the illness or death of someone close to them. With a degree in nursing, a master's degree in thanatology, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is the study of death and dying, and years of nursing and counseling experience both in Canada and abroad, Andrea brings to her work a rare mixture of medical and psychosocial expertise. And she joins us on the Drew Marshall Show. Hello, Andrea. Hi, Drew. How much media do you do? Because you're a great communicator. You should be on the air all the time. Thank you. I mean, I do a bit. There's not a lot of people who are really passionate about children's grief. So, Yeah, but that's, I don't get that. And see, here's the other thing. Like, uh, I think we talked uh, last time a little bit about this. I mean, I grew up in the funeral business. I have been a pastor. I'm a hospital chaplain. I've been around death my entire life. And it is... It is by far one of the most interesting things to discuss or look at or just even explore your own feelings about it. But a lot of people balk at this subject. Absolutely. I mean, I I find it fascinating and it's definitely one of my passions. But when people ask me what thanatology means and I explain that it is a master's in death, it tends to be a real conversation stopper for most of the population. Really? Don't you find that? Tim, don't you think that's just weird? I mentioned I'm a teacher. It has the same effect. What do you mean? Oh, when people say, hi, I'm a teacher. <laughs> Tim, what do you do? I'm a teacher. Yeah. No, I can understand it, though. It's, it, I don't think it's because people are turned off by it. I think they're just made uncomfortable uncomfortable about it. Wow. Yeah, and, you know, I think historically, 100 years ago, everybody was dying at home, and kids were around it all the time. And in many parts of the world, this is exactly what's still happening. But in much of North America. I'm going to exclude Mexico from that because Mexico has a lot more rituals and kids yes. tend to be around death more. But They have a day of the death, don't they? Yes. Well, yeah, and the day before that is the day to remember all the children who have died in a community, which is, you know, when I say that here to parents who have had a child die, they just it can't even wrap their hands or their minds around the fact that there could be an entire day to remember children who have died. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I've shared this many times, uh, walking out of... Uh, the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem, and I specifically was leaving the children's exhibit, I guess is what you call it, and that's when I lost it. I mean, that's when I really, like, snot-streaming tears mm-hmm. and, uh, and and looked up at the sky and just, you know, anyway. So there's just something, and even growing up in the funeral business, you know, um, Andrea, you get used to death. You get used to old people dying. But mm-hmm. you never, ever, ever get used to a child dying. And, and and they can still be traumatizing moments, even for those in the funeral industry. Absolutely. I mean, it's so destabilizing when it's not in the order that we're hoping it's going to go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I, I want to let our listeners know that Andrew is going to be uh, speaking about the topic Kids Grieve Too, Supporting Children Grieving the Dying or Death of a Family Member on May 5th at a place called The Well, which is on Highway 10, just south of Orangeville. Her website is andreawarnick.com. Andrea, I want to just give people a little sample of what this, this I guess, conference or seminar is really going to be about. So what do you, this is for who, by the way? To be honest, it's, it's really for anybody who may come in contact with a grieving child. So certainly professionals, anybody in healthcare, educators, 
social services, but we're also really hoping to draw parents and grandparents and anybody who wants to figure out what kind of language to use. And, you know, maybe is just hesitant to enter the conversation at all with children and want some strategies for how to do that. Okay, so give me an example of something that you know, would be practical help. In other words, let's take this out from the ethereal sky conversation yeah. and bring it down into, okay, um, you know, my spouse died. We have children. How do I help my kids not go completely off the rails because of this traumatic event? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things we'll really be talking about in the seminar are encouraging people to talk early. So if somebody is dying and it's not an unexpected death, to let kids know about that beforehand. And to be honest, there's not really a too early to have that conversation, but there's absolutely a too late. So, you know, but whether it is a death that's coming or a death that's already happened, we'll be really encouraging people to call it death and dying. Like, don't use euphemisms. Don't say, you know, we lost grandpa yesterday. Kids lose things every day and find them again. It doesn't help them understand what's actually happened. So we'll really be walking people through, I mean, the language of talking to kids about death and dying. What what are the common mistakes that people, uh, that parents do when it comes to talking to their kids about death? Or, well, first of all, I guess the first mm-hmm. common mistake is we don't talk about it. Yeah. Or we buy a goldfish and flush it down the toilet, and that's the only conversation we've had. Like, what are parents, tip? what do they typically do that's a bit dopey? Well, it's exactly what you said, Drew. I mean, the biggest mistake is that we don't talk about it. Because most kids are only picking up on adults' anxiety around death and dying. Most kids are really comfortable just entering into conversations about whether it's the dead squirrel on the street. I like to call it the teachable moment when it's, you know, not hugely upsetting to the child, but an opportunity to talk about death. Or, you know, any sort of Disney show, somebody dies, and being able to just talk to the child about it and what it means. And do they understand what death even means? You know, I'll explain it to kids, even two- and three-year-olds, Death means that the body stops working and the body never works again. And, I, and that kind of leads into one of the mistakes being that I find adults often jump to the existential, the mystery part, and as opposed to just starting with the part that we actually know. So quite often people will be like, Grandpa's in heaven playing golf and doing all these things. That it makes it sound <laughs> totally concrete. Grandpa's in heaven saying, pull my finger to yeah. the archangel. He's at the well, permanent exactly. 19th hole. <laughs> yeah. yep. Exactly. And, and that's where, like, I don't want to ever deter families from talking about the non-physical parts, but I just really strongly encourage, start with the physical. Explain Grandpa's body has stopped working. Maybe it was because he had too much cancer in his body. But the body stopped working, and the body will never work again. And that's what death means. Oh, this is so good. Okay, hold on. I, I, Tim really wants to ask you something, but I'm more important, so I'm going to go first. Um, when it, How do I ask this? Do you think that religious people have screwed up having healthy conversations with kids about death? Because they they go into it like just that's, you know, the conversation we just had would suggest that, yeah, we get a little too literally up in the clouds about things when we could maybe start with the practical thing of, yeah, the body stopped working. Well, the thing is, I don't think it's just religious people. To be honest, I have a lot of people come into my practice and say, we don't even know what we believe or we're actually not religious, but we're finding ourselves talking about reincarnation or heaven or just because we want to give our kids something right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where I think it's 
more it's reflective of our societal discomfort with the topic that whether people are religious or not, we're jumping over the physical part and going straight to the existential because we think it's going to be easier for kids. But in fact, the unintended consequence of that is we're confusing them way more. Interesting. Uh, Tim. Yeah, I don't know if it's a dumb question, an obvious question, or what it probably will be. be. (laughs) Um, I teach high school, and in my Mm -hmm. 16 years, I've had uh, at least eight students die, um, Mm -hmm. ranging from being murdered by a fellow student just off school property to a student who was beaten to death by her stepmother, to students who have died from pre-existing conditions like cancer. Mm -hmm. Dude, I didn't know you were going to bring all this up. But ultimately what I'm trying to ask, and this is where I'm trying to frame it, is how do you define a child? When when is someone a child and when when do they become an adult? Like Because I'm dealing from 13-year-olds to 18-year-olds potentially. Yeah. I mean, those, I often refer to that age group as youth. Okay. And a lot, I mean, how we talk to youth about death is almost a little easier in the sense that we don't have to break down what it actually means the way we do if we're talking to a two, three, or four-year-old. But the principles of being honest with them and including them, especially if somebody's dying in the family, but even when we've got these sudden traumatic deaths, making sure that, like, everybody's getting the same message And kids are actually taught about grief. And it's not that they're going crazy if six months or six years after the death, they're feeling all this emotion coming up around it. It's that's what grief looks like. It's messy business. And we just don't talk about it enough. And that's where I really encourage teachers and educators to be educating kids about what grief is. And the process, you know, the five steps and all that kind of stuff. Five steps? Oh, of grief? Yeah. Right. Well, and and that's why I think we do have to be careful, though. I mean, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross coined the five stages of grieving, but as she was dying, she was like, this is a lot more complicated. (laughs) Yeah, obviously, yeah. And and I think we just have to be, I think we're, we're really quick in our society. Like, we want neat, tidy stories, and we want to put things in boxes, and... I find people kind of get caught off guard or really think they're doing it wrong where they feel that maybe they did have a moment of peace or maybe they were at what they thought was acceptance and then they are so angry the next week. And and this is where I really encourage people, like, don't expect anything clean and linear. Grief first can come up, like, it can be 16 years after somebody dies. You, I mean, you talk to an 80-year-old who had a child die 60 years ago, I guarantee they still have grief first. We just don't talk about it enough in our society, so people don't recognize that this is actually a natural human response to a really heartbreaking situation. Are you a thanatologist? (laughs) Yes, yes, it definitely is one of my hats. Man, imagine having that in your Lava Life profile. (laughs) (laughs) I I know, my seven-year-old is like, death, death, death. My mom talks about death a lot. You be you probably like Monty Python too. I think this is tying quite <laughs> not nicely. Dead yet. I'm not dead yet. I'm getting better. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea Warnick is a psychotherapist, a children's grief specialist, and so much more. Her website is andreawarnick.com. Uh, she will be speaking about this topic: kids grieve too, supporting children grieving the dying or death of a family member on May fifth at a place called the Well, which is on Highway Ten, just south of Orangeville, and. Um, Andrea, um, a good friend of mine started the Toronto Death Cafe uh, a while ago, and uh, and I went out to it a couple of times. And you've heard of the Death Cafe, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I gotta say, <clears throat> I don't trust the conversational dynamics of of um, of groups. 
I think that most groups need a little bit of steering when it comes to conversational dynamics. But I was completely surprised at how this whole organic thing worked. One of the codes they have at Death Cafe is there's no speakers. You know, you usually have a guest speaker and tea and crumpets and stuff. I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no speakers. They're just random people show up, sit around tables. Maybe there's pens and some notes or whatever. Maybe there's some question starters. And they just talk. And what do they talk about? They talk about death. That's it. It's so organic, but it drives me nuts. Anyway, I don't know if there's a question there other than, have you been to a death cafe, Andrea Warnick? You know, I have been to a death cafe, and um, I hold an intro to Thanatology course, and I always start it with holding sort of our own little informal death cafe, because one of the things you have to have with a death cafe is cake. So, yeah, exactly what you said. (laughs) Nobody can be paid to speak or to market or anything else, but you're just coming together, but there has to be cake. There has to be cake. And I think it's brilliant because it really, I mean, there's a lot of people who are thinking about their own mortality or want to talk, whether they're ill or not, and have no one to talk about it with because nobody in their family is comfortable yeah, going there. Yeah, exactly. What I found really interesting was were the dynamics of each particular table. Like one table, I remember there was a, you know, stereotypical octogenarian who loves talking about death and has had 47 cats die, and she was a lovely lady, and she's, you know, happy to chat about her own death. And then there was a suit, some dude in a suit, and he was all bay-streety. And then there was a goth chick who just, just that's all she would, oh, death, this is so fascinating. It'll it'll help me put more black paint on my body. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, and so, but it would just turn into a fascinating conversation. And here I am. You know, sitting back going, These, this is not going to work. No, it did. It worked. Well, death and taxes, we all have that in common, right? Yeah. Uh, Andrea, do you do you help kids talk about their own death? So I do. I mean, part of my um, background is actually that I was a pediatric oncology nurse, which is part of the way I became really passionate about this, because I realized I had no clue how to talk to children about death, especially when it was their own. Um, and so, you know, as a nurse, I had the opportunity to do that. And then in my psychotherapy practice, I sometimes have the opportunity to do that. I mean, I spend way more time now with children who have a sibling dying or who have a parent or grandparent dying, but sometimes I'm absolutely working with kids or youth who, who are dying themselves. I have found as a hospital chaplain, not even as a hospital chaplain, just a guy who asks I'm so curious about things and ask. I ask a lot of people questions, and, and especially if it's a situation where you can see other people are not being normal and just asking normal questions. I love getting in there. I have a friend who has had multiple strokes recently, and whenever I visit, I, I try to just crack him up and ask him direct questions like, so, did you think you were going to die? What? You don't ask him that. Don't talk. What? No. That's yeah. And it's, it's, the mo- it's the most amazing conversations. But when it comes to kids, whenever I've gone into hospital rooms and talked to kids openly about death, they are way more straight up, way more. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And that's where I really do encourage people to engage in these conversations with kids. And, you know, I like to open the conversations with kids and then let them take the lead in how much information they want. Some kids want tons of information. Some really don't want much. But it's so refreshing, it, uh, both around death and dying, but also just how they grieve. I mean, kids do a phenomenal job of being immersed in deep sorrow one minute and then just jumping out and being like, I'm going to go play hockey a few hmm. minutes later. Yep. Are, yep. They, are they more honest about it? Like, you know, kids, 
versus adults kids, kids talking say about the darndest things. Yeah, but often they don't have the social blinders or whatever you want to call it, the social hesitations. Mo- yeah. Are they Absolutely. more honest about it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is where I think it's important that we recognize that as much as adults often want to protect kids, kids want to protect the adults in their life, too. So just because a child's not asking about their own dying or dad's dying or whoever it is, it doesn't mean that they don't want to know. Sometimes they're really just feeling like this is too hard for my parents. I'm going to protect them. I mean... Myra Bluebon Logner did research back into the in the seventies on the private world of dying children, and she found that kids as young as three who were dying knew they were dying, but if they thought it was too hard for their parents, they would not initiate the conversation. So interesting. Well, here's a quick little overview of uh, Andrea Warnick's talk that she's going to be delivering on May fifth at the Well, which is on Highway Ten, just south of Orangeville. Her website is andreawarnick.com. Uh, The death of a significant person represents one of the most powerful disruptions in all aspects of a child's emotional existence. Yet few parents, professionals, and volunteers receive formal guidance on how to support children experiencing the dying or death of someone in their lives. This workshop will identify common barriers to supporting children who are grieving and will highlight innovative strategies that can be used in a variety of settings to help kids integrate the dying or death into their lives in a healthy way. Practical tips will be shared for those, uh, for both those who have brief encounters with grieving children and those who play an ongoing role in their lives. This workshop will include stories and important messages from children and their families that illustrate best practice guidelines for supporting the well-being of children who are facing a death in their lives. Andrea, can you give us a little example of a message from a child that you would be sharing with a group like this? One day I'm going to write a book on all the things kids have told me about how they either caused the illness or the death in their life. Right, everything from, you know, like my, my grandpa used to say I was going to give him a heart attack, and then he had a heart attack. So for sure it was my fault. Right, so I, I will be sharing a number of those stories. But that's where I, I just really encourage across the board when people encounter a grieving child, and most certainly for their parents, is to be able to let them know that, like, the death wasn't their fault. Right, They're not responsible in any way, because a lot of times adults are so caught off guard to discover that kids often feel responsible for illnesses and deaths that happen around them. Hmm. I just got a message from someone. <clears throat> I want to read the message out loud to you. Mm-hmm. The message says, hey, thanks for the almost uh, mention. I tuned in because I know Andrea. She's friends with Stella's parents and was at her funeral. Any idea who that might be? Um. Well, I don't know exactly who it is, but I know Stella very well and her parents very well. Yeah. Stella was a three-year-old um, friend of ours who died of a brain tumor. Um, we had Stella's uh, one of Stella's parents on the show. Uh, maybe oh man, how long ago was that? I'm trying to remember. Is that two years ago? A year and a half ago? I can't even remember. Anyway, the person who sent me that message is Linda Stewart. And oh, yes. She's the big cheese there with Death Cafe. So right. I, I almost mentioned her name. You see? This is the kind of grief I get. <laughs> Ironic. We're talking about grief right now. Thank you. Thanks. I should have put those dots together. I knew she did the, those Death Cafes as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, she is fantastic. What a great communicator as well. And uh, that's someone. I, I, I actually, my dad and I spoke at a funeral that Linda facilitated i don't know if that's the right term but anyway she she emceed it hey (laughs) how you doing 
Um, and what a, what a, she does a great job uh, at funerals. And by the way, can I just, I want to toot toot my own horn. horn. When it comes to doing funerals, I kill. I'm, I'm not surprised, I got to say. <laughs> oh, I love it. I really do. I love, absolutely love doing funerals because it's, I don't know, I just, I'm able to bring a little bit of both worlds, just sort of the, the, uh, the heartache, the seriousness, but a bit of brevity as well. And, and it really helps. You can just feel the pressure, you know, that the release valve in the room just kind of go off a little bit with a well-timed something. Yeah. And well, being I, blunt is helpful, too. Yes, yes. Exactly. And I think that that's, you know, so fascinating, too, because it's really similar to what kids can bring to death and dying, right? They can do the really hard stuff and they can bring the joy and the fun and the jokes and the hilarious questions and everything and really balance both of those really nicely. Andrea, you have just been a pleasure to chat with. Thank you for joining us. Andrea Warnick, psychotherapist, children's grief specialist. Her website, andreawarnick.com. Can I just throw this out there? If there happens to be, I don't know, a big old church or a, or a group of, of, uh, of bereavement counselors or chaplains who want to bring you in, hire you in to do a little seminar, I'm sure you'd be fine with that, right? Absolutely. It's easy to find me on my website, and I'm happy to talk about death whenever I've got the chance. Beautiful, beautiful. AndreaWarnick.com. Andrea, thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me, Drew. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.